When the shutdown started in March of 2020, I will freely admit I had no idea what I was doing. I'd been a pastor, not even a pastor, administrator for about six months. So I, had no, I had barely had any idea what I was doing in that position. Then everything shut down. And I would call brother priests and brother pastors, men who I really respected, looking for advice, for guidance. And their basic advice was, keep going. We have no idea what to tell you. And it was overwhelming. And in the midst of all this, I, I remembered an, a brother priest of mine who was a mentor of sorts to me when I was studying to be a priest in St. Louis. And I knew that my responsibilities and inadequacy paled in comparison because he was one of those priests who was charged with making that decision to shut down churches. And so I, I, I gave him a call. And, and to my surprise, he picked it up. Figured he'd be very busy. He picked it up and we talked for a while. We prayed together and we were just talking about the different things and whatnot. And I was asking him how he was doing. And he said, well, you know, it's, I'm doing okay. It's, it's a challenge. Day in, every day, you know, we just don't know what we're doing, but we're trying to do the best what we got. And he goes, I'll give you an example. Earlier this week, on the same day, I got two emails. One of those emails told me I was the most wicked and evil person that had ever existed for shutting down the churches. The other email told me I was the second coming of Christ because I was helping people by shutting down the churches. And he said, you know what, Pat? I'm not as bad as that first person thinks I am but I'm not as good as the second person thinks that I am. And in that moment, it was, it was, it was honest. There was, there was just a, a, a simplicity to it, but his humility came through. It was such a wonderful moment and such a, a beautiful example to me, especially as a young pastor and a young priest, of he knew that he was making mistakes. He knew that he wasn't necessarily doing the best thing. He was trying with all of his heart to do that. But he also knew that he was still nowhere near as good as he could be. You know, so often in life, we think of humility as kind of this, oh, golly gee shucks type of, I'm not, the, I'm not very good at anything, am I? Oh, you know, kind of this false humility of thinking that, oh, I, I deserve this suffering or I'm no good at anything. That kind of humility is what we think of when we think of humility. But friends, humility is heroism. In fact, when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the virtue of humility, he says that the virtue of humility is necessary if we desire to obtain a difficult good. In other words, in order to be a saint, we have to be humble. We cannot be good people without humility. And it is humility that allows us to achieve those difficult goods that are put before us. And what are those difficult goods? Marriage. Vocations of the priesthood and religious life, being a good person at work, loving your neighbor, serving those in need. Those are the difficult goods we are called to serve and to achieve in this life, and they are only possible through humility. Because for Aquinas, what humility does is it moderates our passions. So instead of thinking that I need to be the best, it moderates us and helps us to strive to be the best in a reasonable way. And this is why St. Thomas also puts that for us to be humble and to be virtuous, we also need magnanimity. That literally means greatness of soul. We need a desire to be great. Humility isn't like, oh, wow, look at me. I'm the worst, aren't I? Or everyone's better than me. Humility is also paired with that desire to be great. But what is the greatness for which you are made? Heaven, new life in Christ. 
The infinite God became finite in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and yet he chose to take on the limits of our humanity. Why? So that you can be infinite. That is what you are made for. But the greatness, the goodness, the wonder that you are made for are not the things of this world. That promotion at work, that new house, that nicer car, in and of themselves, they're not bad things, but you're not made for that. The goods, the difficult goods after which we are striving, after which we are called to strive, are the things that are eternal. New life in Christ. And in order for us to get there, we have to be humble. We have to recognize the truth of the matter. And ultimately, that's what humility is. It's being honest with ourselves. Humility helps me to recognize that there are much better priests and pastors than I am. And that's okay. Humility also helps me recognize I'm not as bad as I can make myself in my own head think that I am at times. Because isn't it, you know, at least for me, I'm my own worst enemy and my harshest critic. But humility helps me to realize in those moments of real highs or real lows... That God is going to make those lows better, and at some point I'm going to struggle or suffer, and I'm not going to be as high as I am right now. It keeps me on the path of righteousness, the path of salvation and sanctification. And this is what it's called. This is for all of us, not just for me. This is for all of us. And humility is the key to the path, to that gateway. But how do we work? On humility. Humility is a virtue. It's something that we do. Jesus says to us in the gospel today, he's saying to the, the powerful and the wealthy, you need to be humble. So how do we do that? The first is, I would suggest, I'm going to suggest three things. The first is, don't run from humiliation. A few weeks ago, we Dominicans in the province gathered in an assembly, and a psychiatrist, our psychologist, a Capuchin father, said, the best working definition he has for humility is the refusal to run from humiliation. We don't go out of our way to be humiliated. We don't search that out, but we take the risk. We strive to be greater, and when we struggle, when we suffer, when we fall, instead of fleeing from that, we embrace it. We learn from it. We strive to be better because of that humiliation, because of that difficulty. I would hope and I would like to think, in fact, there were some studies that came out about this, that people of faith came out of the pandemic in a better place than before. Why? Because we allowed the humiliation to wash over us in some way, shape, or form. We embraced the uncertainty of it all with trust, with hope. We weren't afraid of being, you know, I don't know what to do right now, but this is the best course of action right now, and maybe it's wrong. I don't know. I'm trusting in others. And if we made the wrong decision, okay, then we were able to change. But that humiliation of not knowing was, given, was really given to all of us, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. The second thing that we, where we grow in humility is we laugh at ourselves. We should laugh at our brokenness and our foibles and our idiosyncrasies. One of the great joys that I have right now in my life is living with Father Simon Felix, who laughs hysterically at his own shortcomings all the time. He'll say and do something, and he'll say something, and you know, he's, he has, so he's a little dyslexic, and so he'll say or read something, and it's kind of silly, and he'll laugh at it. He recognizes, well, you know, I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm better than I was. But he's willing to laugh at his own shortcomings, at his own struggles. 
Sometimes we take life too seriously. When was the last time you had a good chuckle or a laugh at your own expense? In the novitiate, my novice master, would say to us, Brothers, if you can't learn to laugh at yourself, you will not survive in this way of life. Because this way of life will bring to you and expose to you all of your shortcomings and your struggles. And you'll either learn to appreciate them and chuckle, or they'll drive you crazy and you'll head for the exit. So too in our Christian life. I mean, ultimately, religious life is just a, a superintensification of the Christian life. Laugh at yourself. Poke fun at your shortcomings. Recognize I'm not as good as I think I am. I say things that I shouldn't say at times. You know, how, how can you make jokes? And not in the sense of like self-deprecatory where you're treating yourself as the lowest of the low. But put those things in the context of the grander scheme and have a good laugh at time to time at your own expense. Don't tease other people, just to be clear. Bully other people. Just laugh at yourself, right? The third thing is this, and this will have some more. In, but imitate Jesus. Do you want to be humble? Imitate Jesus. As I just mentioned, Jesus is God. God is infinite, and yet Jesus took on humanity. Jesus took on the very nature of God to take on humanity. Is, or the very, that very act is sheer humility. The entire incarnation is a continuous act of humility of God. But the imitation of Jesus doesn't just stop in that desire to be simple or to be humble, but very simple things like, what does it mean to, for Jesus to be humble? It's to do the will of the Father. At the very end of his life, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will, Father. He's showing to us that the path to redemption and salvation is the humility to recognize that the will of the Father is the path to happiness and holiness. So when we imitate Jesus in doing the will of the Father, do you ask God, is it your will that I take this job or do this thing or send this email even? Not only do we have to strive to do the will of the Father, but we also imitate Jesus by sacrificing for the greatest good. By choosing at times to sacrifice earthly pleasure and success so that we can do the will of the Father. To love your family means stepping away at times from your career so that you can be invested in their lives. To do those simple things to sacrifice for the greatest good. And the last thing that Jesus shows us in terms of us striving towards humility and imitating him is spend time with the poor and serve those who have no choice of repaying for you. Right In this gospel, Jesus is with the Pharisees. Most of the time, Jesus is with the poor. He's with tax collectors. He's with prostitutes. He's with sinners. Those who would no way, be, shape, or form be considered popular or prominent figures. Here, he's at table with those prominent figures. And he says, strive for the lowest place. But he's speaking from a total place of integrity. They can't say to him, well, what about you? Because he just came from dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. When we live amongst the poor and serve those who can't pay us back. And when I say poor, it's not just the materially poor. Those who are emotionally poor. Those who are spiritually poor. Those who are intellectually poor. We are called to be with those who are in need and not ask for anything in return. This summer, I had lunch with a student who, for every, his four years here, he just graduated in May, he attended, I'm pretty sure, every single event that we had. 
I wouldn't even like think of how much money the parish spent so that he could go to all of these events. I didn't show up to him to lunch with a bill and say, thank you for everything you did. Please pay us back. We invest as a parish in those young people, especially our college students, so that they can go off and change the world. And maybe they'll give us something in return, whether in some sort of financial gift, but ultimately that doesn't matter because what we want to invest in them is the gift of eternal life so that they can share that wherever they end up. And so when we do this, when we don't run from the humiliation, when we laugh at ourselves, when we imitate Jesus, we can truly not only be one with Christ, we can be truly ourselves. We can recognize with honesty and integrity that I'm better than I was, but I'm not as good as I should be. I'm not as bad as I think I am at my lowest moments because I'm a beloved child of God. I'm one with Christ. And in order to be one with him and to grow with him, I must strip away those things again and again and again that keep me from him so that I can advance the gospel, share the gospel, and be the gospel in the world, in my friendships and at home.